it's pod nerdy to me. Like, you know, talk dirty to me. No, 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 I get it. Welcome to episode 90 of Pod Nerdy to Me, helping you curate your nerdiness one week at a time. We're your hosts, Mike. And Josie. Uh, this is our review of Blade Runner 2049, but before we get into that, it's been a while. What have you been up to, Josie? It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, yeah, a lot of busyness has occurred since uh, New York Comic Con. We were finally able to, you know, record that that podcast. It was a big one. Yeah, we had to split it into two. Yeah, it was that big. I checked uh, our previous. It's like almost an hour longer than our last uh, Comic Con podcast. I mean, which I, means I'm, chock full of news for you readers. All that sweet ass Le- content. Listeners. <laughs> readers, listeners, packing that sweet tent for you guys. I mean, who knows? They have like you know voice to text or something. Maybe. And yeah. Because that's how, comfortable reading our podcast. That's how I would listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much easier reading them when they're like <laughs> laughing like this. I'm kidding. Um, uh, one of the more notable things uh, that we did was a silent voice. Oh yeah, that's that's literally a standout that I actually want to talk about is a silent voice. It's a it's an animated film from Japan, anime, and it is about. <laughs> And this is such a depressing synopsis. It is about a deaf girl that goes to class like sixth grade and is constantly bullied by a boy that is just kind of like mimicking the perceptions that other students have and acting them out unlike everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it, it it increases the point where the deaf girl has to leave school. Well, and it's really frustrating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is, it is encouraged uh, in silence, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Um, and then it isn't until, like, you know, years later in high school that the boy wants to repent and try to make things better uh, by, you know, kind of like, Feed, feed, uh, take away that guilt by actually showing kindness and concern to this girl. And he's changed his outlook on everything. Um, well, because of his bullying, ironically... Well, he got... He got I didn't say he this. He gets bullied he, yeah. and then it alienates him from all of his friends moving forward. We don't want to spoil so this. So he just gets really depressed and stuff. Yeah. So, um, like, the only reason why he's coming to reconcile with her is because he's, like, been trying to kill himself. And so, I mean, this this movie is just so much. It is in terms of, one of the most human movies I've seen all year. Yeah, yeah. Human is the perfect word for it. And it's just, like, emotionally gut-wrenching. There like, is literally no action. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet it is... No, there's one bit of action. There's one okay, bit of okay, action. Okay, one bit, one bit. But uh, mostly it is just dialogue. Like dialogue and monologue. into a robot, and then no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The deaf girl uses her hearing aids to skate. Uh, <laughs> that does not happen, uh, and yeah. uh, I apologize for that. Sorry, yeah. It's just, it's, <laughs> but no, it's just gut wrenching. It, it's, 
it's relatable on so many levels. Yeah. Cause and it's one of those movies that you like leave being like, I'm changing my perspective on things. And then a day later you're like, eh, I'm That's okay really the way hard. I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but that's, I mean, that's just it. Like, there's, there, there are characters in this movie that do the same thing. Yep. Where they're like, yeah, we should be different. But also, that's so it's hard. It's too hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it, yeah. I'm but, not that bad, am I? But that totally goes to what you were saying earlier. It's such a human movie. Yes. And it's just some, like, no one tells these stories. Like, not even, like, definitely not animated here. No. That's crazy. That's crazy. Nothing, nothing that deep, no. And then, but like, I don't see. I've never seen this story ever. You know, like yeah. this is such an original story, but like it just feels so real. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's beautifully drawn. I highly suggest it if you can uh, catch it in theaters. If not, uh, please purchase it when it comes out because I can't, I can't, I can't love this enough. Or me, you know, rent it when it comes to digital for the win. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a for the win. Uh, definitely along the lines of a, of your name that came out to the states earlier this year. Uh-huh. Uh, so highly suggested. Um, aside from that, you know, I've been just playing some games. But we, we, we've, how about you? What are you speaking of games? I was able to run two sessions of a tabletop role playing game. Uh, based on the Fate Core system. Oh yeah, um, I was a part of one of them. Yep. Uh, I basically set up uh, all the characters, the setting, everything, and everyone just had to play their characters. Everyone selected their characters at random, and uh, we played through it all right. And it was a collaborative storytelling experience. It was fun, and I had a blast cool. doing it. I'm glad that everyone who attended has been telling me that they've had a good time. Um, and I'm glad that I got some people interested in doing tabletop gaming. Um, do you have any suggestions to people that would be interested in like doing something like that? Especially like the Fate Core. Like I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, the Fate Core system, like I, I believe they can, they'll let you download the, the the main Fate Core book for free on their website. That's cool. Um, and the dice that you use with it are a little bit different. They're six sided dice, but they only have two. Uh, Two pluses, two minuses, and two blank faces. Hmm. And basically the way that you roll is that you set how difficult something is. And then based on your stats, you add a certain amount of numbers to uh, whatever total pluses versus minus the minuses. And then that's your number. Yes. It's really easy to do. Um, uh, explaining the rules is pretty easy also. And the it's, the, it's a system that's very story-based. So... Um, uh, as long as your friends have good imaginations and are good collaborators and improvisers, you can have an amazing time set in any setting, telling any kind of story you want. Very cool. Um, so that's what the, I think. That's why I really like Fate Core because um, of the uh, kind of like the, the there's no hand holding really. Yeah, it's uh, I would call it like a gateway. Uh, game. Gateway drug? That <laughs> no, was like a, game, a gateway <laughs> game to uh, larger, more complex. I can't get enough of these tabletops. Um, I know, I know. Josie and I talked about going to that uh, Dungeons and Dragons for Beginners workshop uh, a couple of weeks ago. That was the gateway drug. <laughs> that's the gate. That was the real gateway drug for yeah. us. Um, and so I'm, I've been talking to some of the people who attended those groups, and I'm already starting to draft up uh teams for uh for dungeons and dragons rock on 
Uh, also, uh, the Kickstarter for uh, a new anthology comic based on uh, role-playing characters' deaths <laughs> called Death Saves. Well, it's actually called Advanced Death Saves. Nice. Uh, just dropped uh, a couple of weeks ago. Who's um, on it? I am. Oh, what? Uh, it's my first uh, actual comic book story that if this thing goes through, uh, it'll be the first thing I've ever written that's been published. So if uh, any listeners are out there and are interested in uh, tabletop role-playing games, um, this book or is... Or stories that stem from them. Yeah, the stories that stem from them. This is perfect. Yeah, please uh, check that out. We will have a listing for it both uh, before this episode goes out. Yeah, there's tons of stories in it with a bunch of creators um, and like different stretch goals. Like the last time they did a Death Saves, one of the stretch goals was getting a total party kill manual, which was like <laughs> just like this impossible dungeon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it's, it just teaches you how to be a more vindictive. Uh, more destructive dungeon master. <laughs> oh, okay. I was, I was gonna. I was hoping you'd say person. I was like, I'm already there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. So if you can go and support that, just search Advanced Death Saves Kickstarter and uh, give us your support. Awesome. We are two thirds funded and almost there. almost there. So uh, yeah, that's that's basically been it for me though. Uh, so we are going to now shift into our review of of Blade Runner 2049. If you haven't seen it yet, this is going to be a spoiler cast, so go ahead and go and watch that now. Or if you don't care, just keep on listening. The way that we do this is that we, we're going to give you a quick plot synopsis, then we're going to break things down in terms of writing, acting, and casting, uh, talk about the direction slash production qualities, and then uh, our overall nerd out moments and facepalm moments. And then we're going to deliver a verdict. So uh, let's start with a synopsis. Uh, here in this movie, we have a replicant, Blade Runner, uh, K, is drawn into a mystery with revolutionary consequences when he discovers evidence of the first live replicant birth. His fellow members of the LAPD, agents acting on behalf of the Wallace Corporation, and rogue replicant elements are all vying for this miracle child. Kay must discover who this child is and destroy it to ensure peace in an already unstable L.A. As he delves into the mystery, he discovers uncomfortable truths about himself, humanity, and the replicants that serve them. Yeah. Uh, it's... I, this movie is dense AF. Not only that, it's not just dense, but also you need to do homework. Yeah. You can't, you can't, I mean, obviously you can. You can go in not watching the three short films that came out before it, which is like Blade Runner 2022 uh, Blackout, and then Blade Runner 2036 Nexus Dawn, and Blade Runner 2048 Nowhere to Run, or no, something something like that, Nowhere yeah. to Run. Uh, like, those are <laughs> integral <laughs> to the story at large, especially Nexus Dawn oh. and Blackout. No, Blackout is definitely <laughs> Blackout. essential because I, I love this. Uh, I was listening to this late pop culture uh, Gab Fest, uh -huh. and they have a spoiler cast where they talk about 
like the the review in depth. Yeah. And like they clearly had not watched it. Oh. Because they were talking about like some kind of event happens, blah blah blah. I'm like, I'm like, you don't even do the research. <laughs> you don't even do the research. You, you you you're supposed to be like this like like established. You're podcast. supposed to be a pop culture gap fest. Yeah. And you Did even... you call them? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the, it's the closest I've ever gotten to like emailing someone. <laughs> was it going to be a strongly worded email? It was going to be like a strongly worded email where I was like, the, the, these videos were out either there. do your work or months. hire us. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, because they were just like, I don't know, it was like some kind of nuclear attack, I guess. Jesus and I was like, Christ! It wasn't it. even that. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. Uh, but let's talk about that real quick before yeah. we get into the movie proper. Mm-hmm. I think that would help set up everything. Yeah. Um, coming from the events of Blade Runner, uh, you know, Replicants, uh, the Tyrell Corporation is going to cease the production of Repl- or actually heighten the production of Re- Replicants shortly thereafter, which were the Nexus 8 Replicants. Um, and then something something occurred, and replicants themselves were starting to think, yep. and 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 wanting to live their own lives, just like Roy Batty and the Nexus Six replicants from the original Blade Runner. Exactly. But humanity was keeping them at bay, and it wasn't until they had the idea to revolt and pr- utilize an EMP blast to knock out all of the energy grid worldwide. And then utilize that blackout moment in order to wipe all, all recorded all history yeah. of all replicants so that they can blend seamlessly into society. Exactly. Which was kind of a masterstroke, except they didn't really... I, I don't know if they even considered the uh, ramifications of cutting off worldwide. No, no. De- definitely, definitely. And I mean... I'm sure they considered it. I'm sure they also didn't care. <laughs> no, because I mean, their their entire livelihood was at stake. Yeah, yeah. So that leads us to Blade Runner 2036 Nexus Dawn, which is the pretty much the onsla- uh, the onset of the new age of replicants. Tyrell Corp has already fallen. You see the emergence of uh, Wallace Corporation? Exactly. Uh, led by uh, uh, Jared Leto's uh, Neander Wallace. Um, and he is displaying just... Not only like how advanced his new replicants are, but how obedient they are. Yeah, and he's and he's saying that the laws that were taken into account after the issue with replicants before that you know replicants had since been outlawed, and that's how Tyrell Corporation fell. It's like his new replicants wouldn't fall to the same problems that the Tyrell Corporation replicants showed. Yeah. And he does this to grisly degree, have, uh, commanding one replicant to either kill him or the replicant itself. Yeah. And the replicant kills itself. And it's fucking roll, roll graphic. <laughs> it is graphic, especially for a short film. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that, uh, I haven't said it yet, but these short films, man, not just mandatory watching, but they're enjoyable. Mandatory watching. They're, they're enjoyable to watch. Yeah, they're mandatory for, like, I would say they're mandatory because they're so enjoyable. Yeah, but, like, fair. Also, you need to understand them. But, exactly, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> and then Blade Runner 2048, Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide. Mm-hmm. Uh, this stars Dave pa- Bautista's replicant. Oh, I thought it was Bautista. Ba- <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's pronounced Bautista, depending on which social circles you... 
<laughs> you engage with. <laughs> Dave Bodista. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, of course. But yeah, he is on the run with uh, a young replicant. And uh, I guess he's just being chased. And then... Uh... Well, he's in hiding. He's in hiding. And it, it, it's, it's more like he doesn't want anyone to recognize that he is a replicant. Yeah. And he... It's definitely a throwback to like the original Blade Runner when those those replicants were on the run. Exactly, yeah. exactly, very much so, and it definitely highlights the knowledge that this replicant has. I mean, he he looks like a big bruiser, Dave Bautista. I don't know, like it's hard to convince me that he's a scientist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no matter but, how scraggly you make it look, like <laughs> having him grow out his actual hair though was a good move. Because I was like, he looks terrible. <laughs> but uh, in the original Blade Runner, the opening text crawl, uh, it was saying that, you know, these repl- replicants were created and they- their intelligence mirrored the biogeneticists that created them. So yes. they're incredibly intelligent. They're capable of doing these, these things. And that's what he was doing. He was utilizing his own intelligence in order to create these things that he would sell to uh, some <laughs> kind of like pawn dealer yeah, of yeah. like... It, like human parts or something, something, like, like, so, so, something. Like some kind of like biological upgrade or replacement exactly thing. yeah but uh unfortunately it ended with someone that he cared about being threatened and then violently provoked and he took matters into his hand and killed them yeah you see the bruiser it's pretty violent yeah, yeah exactly but then that that forces him to leave his safe hold yeah and kind of go on the run which i guess Leads right into 2049. Yeah, right into 2049 where you see him like living on that weird protein farm. Yes, exactly. And that's how the movie opens. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, like you said, it's definitely mandatory watching. It's super dense. I mean, like, if they give you three different uh, prequels, like like, interstitials, (laughs) to, to, like, prep you for the movie, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And, um... And you can't really uh, speed through it, like nope. so. There's it's it's very methodical in the way that the plot unfolds as well. Yes, um, very similarly to to the original Blade Runner in that sense that like it's it's a very thoughtful movie. There's I would say probably there's even more action though in the original Blade Runner. Yes, definitely. But um, because because here's <clears throat> the thing uh, compared. Comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. Blade Runner wasn't a mystery. Yeah, not like Blade Runner twenty forty nine is. It's a mystery. It's a mystery noir. It's yeah. like covering itself. That while Blade Runner the original one, it is yes film noir, but it was mo- mostly cut and dry. It's like he had things that he needed to retire. He he had these replicants that he needed to retire. We already knew who they were from the beginning of the film, and it was just a matter of him hunting them down. Yeah. I mean, even like the the noir parts were more aesthetics than anything else. <laughs> exactly, and the most abused part that, like, in terms of mystery, if you will, was uh-huh. which was the enhance yeah. scene. I mean, <laughs> it's just him looking at a picture and be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I know where to go now." Yeah, the enhance. Thing. <laughs> I love that. I, they kind of did that here yeah. again. No, they definitely. It was definitely yeah. a reference. And I, I was, I was upset though. Oh, why? Because he didn't say enhance. <laughs> I was like, just say it. You know you want to say it. You want to 
say Closer? It. <laughs> <laughs> hand, no, closer? Uh, but but I digress. Uh, the, no, you were right in that, you know, the, the mystery here lends itself to more thoughtful uh, time where we're seeing scenes play out. We're seeing people talk to each other rather than this constant hunt. Yeah. The major thing here is... Uh, very similar to like the sh- the themes of Ghost in the Shell, hmm. uh, in terms of like what is what defines life, what defines like having a soul. Even, I mean, it's extension of the themes from the first Blade Runner. Yes, uh, but but it's it's taken to a further degree because now we're dealing with something that doesn't even have a vessel, which is the AI. Yeah, and the or or even the concept of. Uh, that if replicants can have live births, what like w- like what is the actual difference? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, does this like the, the 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 argument I guess earlier was that humans are born and so they have souls. If a replicant can be born, does it have a soul? You know that exactly. kind of thing. And those are those are some heavy ass themes to really tackle in this thing. Um, and I feel like there are times where it might get a little bit lost, um, like particularly in the third act. So, like for the first two thirds of the movie, it's like this pretty intense, uh, dramatic uh, mystery. Yes, and then in that dramatic or plotting, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not saying plotting in the negative sense. I'm literally saying plotting like. It does take its time as it moves on. I consider it to be and its world building. I use that the term it, thoughtful. Because <laughs> thoughtful it's, plotting. It's very, <laughs> it's very uh, constructed and like the there seems to be like a lot of um, there's care and attention to the world that they're trying to show. Yeah, and it's a lot <clears throat> of showing the world, but silently. Yeah. And that's why I say plotting because there is a lot of time where scenes are left to their own mm-hmm. and you are to infer what is occurring with the scene via visuals alone, but, which is completely fine. I'm just saying that the pacing is a little slower. It's um, it's kind of strange because this movie doesn't handhold a lot. Um, it makes it you... does, though. That's the thing. I was like, I was like <laughs> when I say like, when I say that, like, I feel like it, it doesn't go to a lot of terms in terms of like explaining certain things. But then, like, there are other parts where like it gets kind of exposition heavy, and or even uh, just like, trying to show or, you or like through thematically heavy handed. So Denis Villeneuve, <clears throat> who directed this, he also directed Arrival, which is uh, both of our favorite movie last year. Yes. Uh, he also directed the awesome Sicario. Yes. I have not seen Prisoners. Yep, I but have. here it's amazing. I enjoyed it a lot, as well as Enemy and some other Canadian films like Incendiary. Yeah, Incendiary. I forget. I, yeah, I don't know. How to pronounce yeah, it. these were like yeah, but these were like French language Canadian films, I believe. But I have <laughs> seen a interview with him in terms of questioning what is his favorite version of the original Blade Runner because Blade Runner notoriously has about seven different versions yeah. of the film. Uh, the director's cut had a pretty like ex- obnoxious, like, like an obnoxious uh, voiceover, voiceover yeah. that explained everything that was going on uh-huh. so that you know you weren't left guessing because you would always hear 
Harrison Ford's like dis- <laughs> disenchanted voice as he's yeah. like saying this thing because he's he was forced to do so. Yeah. Uh, but that's the that's the actual theatrical cut. Yeah. And uh, then there was the you know further on there was a director's cut that actually wasn't done with Ridley Scott. Yeah. Uh, and then but that was closer to Scott's original vision. And then the final cut, which is actually Ridley Scott's vision, and you know left it to kind of. Uh, feel like Deckard could be a replicant. Yes, uh, in both of those cuts, which I mean, the the, the, the original theatrical cut was that wasn't there. They yeah. they, they get away. They're they're, they're, they're and it, it, it gets it's like real happy at the end, and they they reuse some clips from The Shining, which is the uh, flyover the like the mountainside. Uh. Anyways, um, what I'm trying to get at is Denis Villeneuve when he was asked which version is his favorite. He the original version that he saw was the theatrical cut, uh-huh. and it's it's a toss up between the theatrical cut and the final cut, and so I think in, in an homage to the theatrical cut, where we have the the more like explanation heavy sense of the movie, yeah, he's doing that here, yeah, but a li- with with a little more class, a little bit, a little more class, but, but I mean for for for, for 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 the uh, for the. <clears throat> For the uh, reoccurring film goers such as ourselves, yeah, you know, it's kind of like you don't have to keep showing us this. Yeah, and and Blade Runner isn't like that. At least the final cut is. Yeah, from, from and we just we just recently saw the final cut. It makes me wonder how much studio interference happened in this movie. Um, only I don't think much because of that freaking running time. The runtime is huge, and it is still kind of plotting. But like, there are things that happen in. In uh, the third act, primarily meeting with Fraser and uh, the like uh, replicant resistance, yes, like that sets up possible sequels, like that are going to be more like just replicants versus humans. That just like kind of smacks of like studio, like franchise, build the universe, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if anything, it's kind of odd, uh, at least the way that I interpreted it, mm-hmm. because the original Blade Runner, it felt pretty, e- even the theatrical cut, it felt kind of cut and dry, yeah. uh, in, in, in that, you know, L.A. was was in this way, and it's going to be this way, especially even when we leave from the film. Yeah. And the replicants, they took care of those replicants. Those replicants are done, and they're probably going to take care of replicants in general, because yeah. they are a nuisance. Yeah. In regards to you know the threat that they per, uh, they could be per, uh, per, the perceived threat that they are yeah so uh, in that regard it was like a complete movie like I'm in and out and I'm gone in this one there's more questions because the world is just a little bit larger yeah and the the fact that we kind of start as K is investigating a replicant freedom movement. Yeah, and that's how he comes to Sapper Morton, say Dave Bautista's yeah. uh, location. It's like you're already getting the sense of like there's something greater in the background, but we just can't see it yeah. because we're focused on the mystery at hand. Exactly, and it kind of even by the end, it feels like a thread that hasn't really been tugged at. Yeah. It was just visited. Mm-hmm. So I definitely see what you're talking about. So um, that's that's the other thing I kind of have an issue with in this movie is that like you said they leave some of those threads like kind of open yes and 
I personally don't see Villeneuve returning to this movie. I mean, franchise. he was he, he was already apprehensive about coming to the franchise in general. He's yeah. like, you know, Blade Runner is such a beast. It's such it's a cult classic. Like, yeah. how can we go back? Why why make a sequel to begin with? But but now they have like all of this like potential to do one, mm-hmm. and I like it just makes me nervous about the future of Blade Runner. Well, so I I mean when when I say that you know, like why make a sequel to begin with. It really makes me wonder because when Blade Runner came out initially, it was a marvel visually. Yep. But also, uh, you know, in a movie, the questions that it was raising was usually just, you know, relegated to books about the human condition and going further than what makes us human and what is the difference if, you know, we have created something that is practically human, mm-hmm. um, imperceptibly so. But. You know, where where's the line between our humanity and their livelihood, if yeah. you will? Their, uh, what's it called, existence? And what would be the difference between that? And, like, those questions are kind of expanded upon here. But is it expanded enough to bring up new questions? Like, like is it worthy of succeeding Blade Runner? Is it as impactful in that regard? I think where this movie succeeds writing-wise mm. is that it continues to flesh out the world yes. um, in a way that's, I think, additive. Mm. Uh, specifically, like, by creating the event, like, the blackout, showing us... That's that's outside of this movie. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and that's so frustrating. Well, I, I think, I think, I mean, honestly, I think the reason why it's outside of this movie is because this movie's so fucking long to begin with. Correct. Um, Do you think there was a way? And I apologize for like introducing this new this new question, but it, it it is a part of it. Do you think there was a way of incorporating that blackout into this? Maybe with like some really some cutting. Yeah, you'd have to do some heavy cutting. I mean, I would be fine with it. Like, I would cut like all of this like replicant revolution stuff, and that would free up maybe like twenty minutes or so. Gotcha. And then you can then. Um, you can then maybe put in something in regards to like some kind of prologue in the like as a cold open or something to that effect. Hmm. Um, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, so where he finds Deckard, that's Las Vegas. Yeah. Correct. So another thing that aggravated me to no end was, um, at the uh, for for the for the slate pop culture uh, review was that you gotta stop bringing those people up. Is that they they didn't know that that was Vegas that they were just how, did, how you then they weren't paying attention to the film. I know that's why it was so frustrating to me. Like they were like referencing it as like oh yeah like it was it was like uh, that place with the big titties. It's all brown and like blah blah like they were just talking about the color palettes and oh, I was just the like, color palette was gorgeous. Yeah, but the, but they were talking about how it was actually like. How it was like uh, drab, and then it was like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was like too brown or whatever. And I was oh, just like, oh man, like, you're getting, I'm like, you guys are getting this wrong. Like it's like <laughs> it was so frustrating. Like I mean, like I wasn't mad that they were hating on the movie because they were hating on the movie. Oh, they didn't like it. Uh, two of them didn't like it. One of them thought it had some interesting things. Um. Mm. But, like, I wasn't even mad because they were hating on it, but I was mad because, like, they were hating on it, but, like, hating on it from, like, a, 
a perspective that clearly didn't care enough to pay attention to the movie. They probably mentally checked out <clears throat> at some and point. That, I, and, but that, again, whose fault is that? Is that uh, that's something their fault? Is it but their at the fault, same time, is it Villeneuve's fault for like like you said, making a plotting kind of movie where the mind might tend to wander? So, I, well, before we get go on to that, yeah. you didn't really answer my question. You actually, yeah, uh, we we we, we yeah, sidestepped sorry. it. No, the question was, uh, you know, does it do enough? to introduce new concepts that will cha- that challenge us that were just as important in the initial film. I, I, I think the, the concept of live birth uh, does add something uh, new to the equation mm. in terms of making us really question those things. It's another way of doing it, but the questions still remain the same, so I understand why some people might feel like it, it's unnecessary. It, do- it doesn't do <laughs> enough. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, I also think it, I, I also thought uh, I also thought it was intriguing, uh, though I thought that writing wise and uh, this is the same writer as the original Blade Runner. Yeah. So that's that's already huge in and of itself. But uh, in terms of writing and screenwriting, uh, but the I guess the conceit here that Wallace is unable to replicate. Funny enough, yeah. Uh, replicate what Tyrell did so many years before. Yes. I find that to be extremely odd. Uh, I mean, I, especially since he's made like these really obedient replicants. It was just I found as a as a writing like you have the blackout. Remember, so yes, like of course records of how of how uh, Tyrell made those leaps mm-hmm. probably not in the record anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there's also something to be said like maybe Wallace wasn't basing his designs off of off of Tyrell's. And so he would need some kind of bridge. And that's what finding the child is so important. Mm. Uh, we, we, we should mention that the reason why Wallace is so heavily pursuing this child is because he's looking for... A way answer. for replicants to replicate. Yeah, because he can't make replicants fast, fast enough. enough to uh, accommodate all of the need for replicants for all of the terraforming and colonization needs of expanding humanity out beyond the nine planets that are already uh, colonized at this point. Um, which, again, leads me the whole time I was watching this also, the other thing that was in the background. wanted to see head, those planets. One, I wanted to see those planets, but two... two I've I always wanted like, to go off-world, dude. <laughs> two, I was like, this is fucking, like, this could be, like, Exo Squad in, nobody, in like, no time flat. Um, the only difference... I need you to like explain the, that to, to me and any viewers that have don't have much Exo oh. Squad... So Exo Squad was like a '90s cartoon um, that, in my mind, like for an American cartoon, like really approached as close as you could get to like the maturity of an anime in the in like the early '90s. Okay, which is kind of remarkable if you really think about what the cartoons were like uh, from America in the early '90s, with the exception of, of course, like of Batman the Animated Series. Okay, and the X Men Animated Series. Yes, uh, but. Uh, Exo Squad was a distant future where man had created a uh, slave race, essentially, called Neo-Sapiens that were artificial uh, living beings. And uh, they used them to terraform Mars and Venus. And uh, we were living on those things. And then there was an uprising of the 
I almost said replicants of the Neo Sapiens, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and then now there's a war going on between the two, and what ended up happening like throughout the thing was like just like seeing like who the good guys and bad guys were. Yeah. Like at one point, there's like one noble, uh, one noble uh, Neo Sapien who's fighting on the side of the humans. I think his name is like Marsalis or something like that. Yes. And then there was like uh, an evil one. The head of the the Neo Sapiens was named Phaeton. And, like, I can't remember if it was a flashback where you learned that, like, Phaeton and Marcellus were in the same slave colony and uh, Marcellus was actually the one that was for the uprising. Yes. Or if it was the other way around and, like, eventually Marcellus comes to the thinking of Phaeton and then Phaeton switches his thinking and joins the uh, exosquads or whatever. But something to that effect. But, like, like, a lot of emotional maturity, a lot of discussion of, like, why are you any different from us? Like we're living, breathing beings who have progeny just like you and you're treating us like slaves, you know? Hmm. So it's like like we created time, you to be this way. Yeah, That's the whole why time I'm watching it. And like the whole point of them creating them was to, to get us off world. So, I mean, same idea, same idea here. And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <clears throat> but going back to the movie in terms of the writing, uh, like I just, I don't know. I found a hard time thinking that even though Wallace is, you know, hasn't found the missing link with uh, Tyrell, that him even being able to create these high grade replicants, if you will, the Nexus Nine series, I just, it's, it was harder for me to believe that he's able to create, you know, the complexity of the human brain, but not a reproductive system. Ah, so what I was thinking is that this is complexity we we think complexity of the human brain but there's also there's that that uh, like unabashed obedience to uh to the humans yes. and like prioritizing human lives and stuff like that yes so maybe they're not as complex as tyrell's because they're not as human in that right do you think wallace would do that though what he would limit them that way yes because I mean, everything that we've seen from the world of Blade Runner uh-huh. suggests the opposite, in that these these uh, and these replicants are just as smart, if not smarter, than humans. I mean, like when I say limit them, I mean like I mean he's limited them in the sense of like they don't have the free will that that the rep, that the Nexus uh, Sixes had. And that's another issue that <clears throat> I have with this movie is that like. With the expanding of the story and what's going on with replicants in general, why do they let replicants roam free? Like, why is K? Why does K have a place to live by himself? Like, he should be like kept in a closet and turned off. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's why they have those checks to see if he's at his base, baseline at all times. Yes, I, 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 mean, I do realize in, that. In some ways, he is in a cage, or at least on a leash, a very short leash mm-hmm. um what do you think about the parallels between or like i mean so i feel like especially in in this movie more so than anything else that i've seen Villeneuve do is that he he and maybe the writers are introducing a lot of interesting concepts that bring up a lot of interesting questions but then don't really answer them Ooh. Uh, okay so uh, can you give me an example for for instance uh Joy uh, is an artificial being also. Yes. So, but she's less real than the replicant. And so 
Is she like a, a third class citizen in all of this? Like, do does Kay view her in the same way as we view a replica? Clearly not. Does he? He clearly feels bad for her in the same way that he might feel for himself in terms, in terms of like he's not a real person, quote unquote, and like he's trying as much as he can to give her a real experience, like because he buys that portable. Uh, the emitter emitter um, so um and then she is also in turn trying to help him feel more realistic you know that, that, that's that, i love that actually i love that about this movie uh that was the, the most interesting part of this movie to me was his relationship the extension of the ai yeah like because if you if you think the way that you were just saying right now in terms of limiting the brain capacity of some of these replicants if Wallace has the capacity to do that, Wallace Corp also creates joy. joy yeah. Uh, so you know he also cre- so you can kind of think or make a link that the AI that is capable in these replicants is similar to the AI in Joy, mm-hmm. as well as you know she's she she just doesn't have a case. Yeah. Which is the body case that K has. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. You know where does the line because we've been talking about lines, but you know, where does the, where do, where's the line drawn when an AI or a replicant is free thinking versus just following the script that it was initially given. Yeah. And that's kind of what Kay is struggling with. And that's, I think what hammers home to us as the viewer, when he's looking at the hologram of joy, that huge, gigantic, beautiful hologram of joy, where it's like a version of joy naked, he's already lost his version of joy mm-hmm. and she's being advertised to him like said so she could be a solution to him being lonely yeah and it's like you know like how much of her was genuine was original and free of it's a gutting the, moment of the yeah. movie oh it's so beautiful because it's like oh hey you had me but you know, all you all you need to do is buy me again. Buy me again. Is it the same? Is it going to be the same joy? Like exactly will it be different? Or yes. And if it's if it, what if it's not? What if it's the same thing? Then like, does that feel? Does that like diminish your initial relationship with her? You know, exactly. It's just a lot of again interesting questions with no real answers. I I mean, and I think that's. I mean, that happens a lot in movies. It and, does. And then, and this movie is one of those movies that just happens to do that, too. Yeah. That's what happened with the original Blade Runner. I mean, it was left ambiguous as to whether Decker was a replicant or not. Yeah. And what was going to happen with Rachel at the very end. So... There, he also... There all, there's also, like, a ton of, like, references that are very, like... I mean, seemingly intentional. Um, like, like they have, like, a bunch of Nabokov references. Hmm. Like, he's reading the Bakov. He asks her to read from it to him at some point. The uh, musical cues are from Peter and the Wolf. And, like, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what Peter and the Wolf is. What does that mean? Peter and the Wolf is an old, uh, it's, it's, it's an old, like, orchestral score that, like, that accompanied, like, a, I think, like, a, a kind of story about a boy. Like, it was like, it, it's kind of like the boy Pride Wolf, but not quite. Oh, okay. Like each individual character is represented by an instrument throughout, and I believe I, I, I can't remember which. I think the French horn is the wolf, but I don't know. 
I think that would have me. Did you did you know this going scenario. in, or did you like? No, I've been stuff? diving. Uh, you've been diving deep. Like, yeah. Okay. Before we go into that, I did I did want to come back to the original thing of Joy and his relationship to Joy. Uh, this is actually funny enough. Uh, visited in a terrible 80s movie called Cherry 2000 with Meg oh, Ryan. I remember the name I of that movie. I loved that movie as a kid. Uh-huh. I used to watch it all the time. And it was about a guy that fell in love with the Cherry 2000 series of robots. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, they were just like servant robots. Mm-hmm. And, like, he had all these memories of her. And so she, she malfunctioned because of, like, some water damage, funny enough. And then Meg Ryan is like an old, like, bounty hunter type person. Uh-huh. And this is before Meg Ryan had, like, any kind of, like, surgery on herself so she looked really good okay uh, and yeah and then uh, yeah, yeah i can't i can only remember like probably post-surgery meg ryan and i was like meg ryan was fine oh uh, no she looked great <laughs> oh you know what i'm i'm being awful here it's uh, it was melanie griffith uh now okay. you understand what i'm talking yeah, yeah. about <laughs> yeah exactly not meg ryan melanie griffith but you know meg ryan's face is kind of funny now no offense meg <laughs> Um, <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I just wanted to say that he goes ahead and has a relationship with Melanie Griffith, uh, as he's trying to find another, another copy of the body of Cherry 2000 so that he can put the memory unit in this new copy and, you know, have that relationship all over again. Right. But then he realizes that it was all just coding and that, you know, he wanted something real. Wow. Um, so, yeah, very similar. Exactly. Exactly. Very similar. But going back to the Peter and the Wolf situation, uh, what do you – can you expand on that? Like, what do you think? How, do, how does that work? No, that's the thing. The I don't know. I don't know how it would fit in because, like, if, if it's the French horn, then that would indicate that Joy is the wolf, maybe? And then what? That why, makes no why would sense. Why would Joy be the wolf? Because the, the, the musical cue is the French horn. and the French For horn. her? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, is, that, is, that, is that the sound that the happens sound when she boots she up? up? Yeah. So, I don't know. Or Interesting. Maybe, maybe it's Wallace is the one who created it, and so he's the wolf, maybe? I don't know. I mean, can we, can we go uh, to that, actually, in terms of the writing? Like, we have Roy Batty and the Nexus 6 replicants, and they are a force to be reckoned with in the original Blade Runner. Yeah. Who's the bad guy in this? It, uh, it, it's conceived it's, it's, it's definitely Meander, it's definitely Wallace Meander Wallace and then by that by association right, love. Uh, love yeah love but do you does it feel like there's any kind of like like this is another thread I guess that goes back to what you were saying uh-huh. that doesn't feel like it's been solved with Wallace still roaming free and doing what he can yeah, with what Wallace money he still, has yeah Wallace is still free even though that love has been taken out of the equation yes um, but uh, yeah Wallace is Wallace is still out there. So, yeah, that's a good point. And, again, like, that's another thing that could suggest sequel. And I'm just like, I don't want yeah. a sequel of this at this point. Well, like, in the original, we have Tyrell dead. We have yeah. Roy and all the Nexus 6 replicants dead. dead. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 kind of tough when you think about, like, it in context of the first movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, is this completely necessary? And, um... I mean, I guess the answer would probably be no, you know, because it's like you said, like this hasn't given us much additively in terms of that. I think what it does is it reframes a lot of the questions in a very beautiful frame. And more, I guess modernized for today's audience yeah. because of the whole on, onset of AI that we are living through right now. Yeah, yeah. 
So the, I mean, there there are there are things that and then make and then it e- Elon Musk or was it Stephen Hawking warning us that if we do create AI, they will overthrow us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's Hawking. I okay. Think, I think Musk Musk has like a slightly more optimistic He's more pro. Of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think it just adds like some inter- like a, an interesting reframing of it. Yeah. Um, but. But overall writing, I guess. Do, do do we want to get to the overall writing though? Yeah, like, the like, overall writing. I just feel like they they had a really good idea, but then it kind of got away from them. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of how I, I felt. I felt about it. I agree. Um, but it, like I it said, could it could have been a little bit tighter. Those first two thirds, I think, are a really good mystery. Yes, uh, I agree. And then just like then, it's just once he gets to once he gets to Vegas and things just kind of start falling apart. Unfortunately. I so you might laugh at this, mm-hmm. but I personally didn't like that the daughter was the memory maker. Okay, well I don't uh, know why I would laugh at that, but oh, because I actually figured it out. Oh, as as, as soon as she said that that memory is real, uh-huh. uh huh, and then she started crying. She showed emotion behind it. Yeah, I was like, that's her. Oh, it was so obvious to me. It wasn't obvious to you. No. Okay. The funny thing is, is that like, I, I was like, okay, you make the memories of everyone. How did you know that it was real? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and then why get emotional over that memory? If you, because if you, it's if you, a if you, really touching memory. Nah, it wasn't even that touching. It's it was so about a kid. Touching. It was about a kid getting bullied and then hiding a horse in like some kind of exhaust chute. Because it's the only thing he has that's his. That memory and wasn't that great. If he'll give it to other people. I mean, as a device, I thought I thought it was well mm-hmm. used, but I just thought that you know having her be also like the solution and then doing that like it wasn't it wasn't uh, it was no longer a mystery to me there, mm-hmm. and I was like okay well all right, mm-hmm. uh, but but it's, but it's fine yeah. it's fine. Literally all the other reviewers that I've have, have been saying that it's like a, like a really good twist, and not only oh, that it's a really fair. good twist, but it's also. Uh, kind of like an anti-Hollywood twist uh, in the sense that like it'd be much more Hollywood to have uh, Ryan Gosling be like this scion of a new revolution. Oh, okay. You know, and... No, I, if anything, the twist was always going to be that Ryan Gosling wasn't going to be it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say no, that I, that's those, reviewers, no, I those think... reviewers are poor and I'm better. No, no, no. I think the twist, <laughs> I think it would have been like the twist was like, the twist was him discovering that like He's the he's the child. That's the twist. Like he's oh. he's sent out after the child. They think the twist is is that like oh you were sent after the child. You're the child. And then the further twist being he's not the child after all. Oh. Like that's I mean and that's kind of like a very that's really common. What uh, uh, that I'm the one. Oh wait, <clears throat> I'm not the one. Uh, I mean maybe in some like I don't know. Like I I feel like if you compare. I'm the one to I'm not the one to oh I'm the one is I feel like you're gonna see way more I'm the ones than the other way around okay and that that the one where like the main character turns out to be the one is like the more mainstream satisfying uh twist that people end up liking okay so yeah uh so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just uh, a different way of of doing this thing. Like, I mean, it was. It was. I thought it was a. I thought it was an interesting twist for me. Uh, 
Let's let's go to to characters and casting. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Gosling as K. What'd you think? Uh, I thought he was fantastic. He he didn't show too much emotion. Until until he had to. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of my favorite parts, funny enough, when I just said that you know I totally saw her as like the solution, uh, was when he said, "God damn it!" When he figured out that that memory was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that got me. I was a little yeah. so mad. He is mad. He is mad. Uh, but overall, uh, as like this replicant that is shunned by society, uh, even by his own co-workers, which, uh, you know, everyone in the LAPD, you know, like this guy is just like trying to give him a wide berth because everyone's like looking at him poorly. He's, and he's looking down. Skinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's looking down, calling him skin job. Even the place where he lived. Again, it really opened up questions to me. Like, why are these people allowing replicants to live out in the open if they are so widely ostracized it didn't I think make it didn't like make heavy handedness that i didn't like it in the didn't movie. make sense to me yeah. either way uh, uh but i did like ryan gosling as k what do you think uh i would have to agree i really liked him as k i thought he was uh uh he he carried himself with a certain level of stoicism yes and so when he cuts loose with his emotions, it really it's really impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I really liked the way he portrayed himself whenever he was interacting with Joy, um, and like the the relationship that they were able to kind of have. I thought like there were moments that were actually kind of cute. Yes, uh, I you know I mean to extend it to Joy as well. Uh, I thought that the relationship was very much solidly based on their acting together. And they did a fantastic job. Yeah, of, their chemistry was great, right? Of Yes, of showing that chemistry with each other and us buying into that relationship so much so that when love does destroy the transporter, the emitter, yeah, the emitter yeah. um, that you kind of feel like, holy shit, that sucks so much. Like I had more feelings about about love stomping on that emitter than I did about Jin Erso freaking out over her dad dying. I mean, I don't even I don't even know what Rogue One is. It's not a Star Wars movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that she uh, Joy was played by Anna De Armas, and uh, she was I amazing. She knocked it out of the park. She's I don't incredible. know incredible. I don't think I've ever really heard of her. Uh, is it, I mean, this might be the first thing I've seen her in, mm. but I, I, I really think she knocked it out of the park. I have to agree. Um, the emotive nature of her, and also like, and then the, the 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 kind of emotive, but like still cold and AI ish one when she's like the giant version of Joy. Yes, like it was it was like the same, but like so coldly different. That I mean, the was, black eyes really helped. It was. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, those black <laughs> eyes are terrifying. Yes. Uh, but but yeah. the, the concern that she has and the protective nature that she has with Kay. And, and just the wanting him to experience being real. Like, mm-hmm. how eager she was for him to, to be that scion. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and then also to have him experience life as a real person. Uh, going as far as to hiring, like, a, a doxy so that she could sync with her yes was just very interesting um let's talk about sylvia hoax uh who played love i mean she was mean (laughs) 
Yeah. She was mean. She was cruel. I, uh, <laughs> I like one of my favorite scenes was when she confronts uh, Lieutenant Joshi in her office. Oh yeah, and when like, she, I'm gonna tell Neander that you threatened me. Yeah, and <laughs> she you like shot first. When she crushes her her drink or her hand in with the drink in hand. Yeah, and then like uses it like as the like. As a kind of like torture device where she just like continues to squeeze her hand mm-hmm. when she wants information. I was just like, like the whole time I, I, I really like that scene. And My question for love though is why is she so damn angry? Like she looked like she was on tilt the entire fucking movie. Like there was no time where she was like chill. Like, no. you, you, like, like barely, barely. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you recall the scene where she's introducing Rachel's, uh, Rachel's like docket or whatever uh-huh. to Kay, yeah. even afterwards, she's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> there, I, were un- there were undertones of that anger. And then it just really kept showing itself afterwards. See, I like how like almost like, like. Uh, scientifically detached she was at certain things like when she's laying down that cover fire for uh, Kay mm. uh, in San Diego and she's like just getting her nails done the entire time and she's like destroy the rest of the people and just like, like oh really I, I, I didn't think that I, was, I thought she was still she was still mad because she was like now do your fucking job oh I mean yeah I mean I, like, <laughs> I, I think that was more of like just like annoyance more than anything else mm-hmm. but she's a very driven character that's a good like, question though because literally uh, I forgot to bring this up during your writing, but I wondered why didn't Kay question that even more? Like, why didn't he follow that? Like, why the hell would anyone want to help him like that? Yeah. Like, he's just like, okay, that happened. <laughs> Let's keep moving. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think he knew that Wallace's eyes were on him, and he was just like, this is just that, and now I, I'm like, they, they don't care that I'm aware of it, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um. I, I mean, there was also that scene where she's like, like I, she's like deathly afraid of Wallace also, I feel like. Oh, definitely. And like she like, didn't want to show emotion when he that, was killing that replicant. Yeah, that was, I thought that was another particularly moving scene. I like that. Yeah. I, I think the, the major thing with there's, this movie. There's, there's fear, I'm, respect, and anger. In, for me is that like, I love so many like disparate scenes in this movie. And then maybe, like, I was just kind of, like, filling in the rest of it. What do you mean? Like, I mean, like, just kind of, like, loving those, the scenes that I'm talking about now um, so intensely that, like, the average overall on the film, I'm, I'm, like, still relatively up on it. Gotcha. Um, So Harrison Ford makes makes his return in Act 3 of the movie as Rick Deckard. What did you think? Okay, so... Here's the thing. Before we even got into this, there were like commercials and stuff, or even articles. They're like Harrison Ford, the best uh, thing of his career, or something like that. Or like, oh. like back, back in uh, form, whatever. I don't know. They, they were just like really uh, applauding like it. Over I thought, I, I, yeah, exa- exactly. I thought he was good. I didn't think he was amazing. I thought he was good. I, I felt like he was putting in a little bit more effort than what he did in, like, say, Star Wars. Um, I I disagree there. Yeah, yeah. I like I, I, I like them more in Rogue at uh, Rogue One <laughs> in Force Awakens. Oh, I definitely I, liked him more in Force Awakens, but that's because he's Han Solo in Force Awakens. Yeah, and he's Rick Deckard in, uh, in uh, I didn't even like Rick Deckard much in in. Uh, he's not. He's not supposed to be. He's like, like, yeah, he's not a likable character. character. No. That's what I'm saying. 
Um, it's like it's very easy to like Han Solo more than Rick Deckard. Oh, I'm just saying in general is also in acting. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I felt like um, maybe my my nostalgia was taking over more in uh, in the Force Awakens and in the way that I view it, like mm. in the way I view him more than it was in uh, in Blade Runner, but. Yeah, I, I, I personally wouldn't say... I wouldn't go as far as to say, like, oh, he's back or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know why, I don't know why, but... But, I mean, but I think, I, I think, like I, I said, I thought well. he was good. Yeah, I think he did well, and I think, like, he really got into Rick Deckard again. Like, that, like he's able to kind of, like, really, really act his part in this way. Like, because I, I, I don't know, man. I just feel like he's getting kind of, like... Harrison Ford, it just seems to me like he's like over movies sometimes. Like whenever he's like giving interviews or whatever, he's like, well, he's he's a he's a notoriously bad interviewer. So or interviewee, pardon. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Robin Wright as Lieutenant Joshi. She's barely in it. She's barely in it. But Uh, uh, you know, she's supposed to be like this powerful like commissioner type of the LAPD, and I thought she did well. She delivers her lines really well. I think particularly. When she describes like how threatening this child could be to their world, mm-hmm. I like really liked that. Mm-hmm. You know that this this our world is built on a wall that separates sides, yeah. and if those sides learn that there is no that there are no sides, then we have war. She felt like she was being written by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. So that Nolan speech were like. Yeah. The very fabric of humanity. It's it's ironic that you say that. I like uh, in in my research, I found out that at one point that Christopher Nolan was being considered for. I'm not surprised. This. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Bautista as Sapper Morton. Like, I mean, we we kind of talked about it earlier. He was fine. I mean, here's the thing with Dave Bautista. I think he had though. a better highlight in that in that short than he did in the movie. Completely agree. He yeah. really has an opportunity here. Um, but I do have to say that I think he gets short shrift in general though. And because, because of his like wrestling background and like some of the other movies that he's been in, people, I don't think respect him as an actor. And I just want to give him it for this. Exactly. Though. Yeah. That's what, that's what I wanted to say. I just wanted to say like, and even James Gunn like backs him up. He's like, yo, like he's a sleeper. Like guys, like. He he like brings it for Galaxy. Like you, you got you got to recognize him for more than just like being a set of muscles. Yeah, and w- which I just want to give him that due. I agree. I agree. Uh, Jared Leto as Wallace or Neander Wallace. He like lives in Weirdville, right? <laughs> like that. His like even like his his cadence of delivery of oh, yeah. speech definitely was so bizarre. Yes, like I don't know. It was like. I don't know. It was like like a, a bad, a bad impression of like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Sometimes like people I expect so much, but I can build only so many. Right? Yeah. I was it's like, like the, this... a weird halting, but not really speech. Yeah. And it was so like yeah, all in exactly. Sound, it sounded like he was doing a voice. Yes, it didn't sound like it wasn't him. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely doing something. Yeah, I don't know. On one level, it was kind of scary, but it was just because he was doing the voice that it was kind of there, kind that, of laughable. Yeah, it, it felt to me like it was starting to pull me out of it a little bit. Um, 
And then Mackenzie Davis has a very short bit as Mariette, the uh, the doxy that is hired. Um, I mean, that, again, if you want to talk about uh, plot thread for the next thing, she, feel, she feels like it. Yeah. I mean, they slept together, not because... And I, I, I felt like that, that whole, like, sleeping together thing... I mean, that's a throwaway scene, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, if you wanted to show how close Joy is with him, I mean, you've already shown it. You don't need her to embody someone else to have sex with them. Mm. Um, so I thought that, that that was another thing where it's like, you know, maybe what if they have a baby? What would happen, um, th- what would happen there? Uh, yeah. I didn't even think about it that way. <laughs> I, I think it was just for life. Me, it was like... Life finds a way. <laughs> I think it was just for me. It was just like another extension of the uh, of the lengths how far that the that, that that those two are willing to try to do things to make the other feel more real. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So I guess we can move on to direction and uh, and production. What about, what, what about Rachel? Oh yeah, Sean Young reprises <laughs> kind of reprises her role as as Rachel. I mean, we can lead into production with this because yeah. this is one of the most amazing effects of like de aging that I've seen in a long time. It and by a long time, I mean since Civil bonkers. War. <laughs> uh, so or, or, no, no. Oh, sorry, Galaxy. Guys, so Galaxy Volume Two. I had been discussing this with a friend of mine, and she said that Denis Villeneuve had seen uh rogue one ironically yeah and like looked at what happened with Princess grand moff tarkin. tarkin and he was like nope there is no fucking way i'm going to allow my good look like that and so like they must have poured like a shit ton of money into that well so <clears throat> i did read a little bit of how they how they did the effect so uh-huh. what they did was they studied rachel uh from the original film and then they, they actually actress, right? got Sean Young, yeah, and an actress that looked similarly to Sean Young, and then had Sean Young like teach, teach her. her how to do Be the movements, her. yeah, and then like shot it not only with this actress but also with Sean Young and composited her face, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then like did a little bit of like <laughs> so some CGI trickery in order to de-age Sean Young's uh, face as well. Amazing. There was like some extensive work yeah. in this, that and it looked. Shit. Phenomenal. That shit made like the like the Iron Man and the Ant Man things look mm-hmm. like like kind of like shoddy in comparison. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War is pretty damn great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't see the Kurt Russell one though in Guardians too. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But one. I heard that yeah, one's yeah, really yeah. good. That one's really uh, good as well. But what I wanted to say is, what did you think about LA in general? Um, at least this version of LA, it's not as bright from the sky, but at the ground level, it was pretty bright when Kay was like that one area where he actually finally, where he initially meets Mackenzie Davis's character. Yeah. Marriott. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. I think what this is, is a natural extension of the blackout. No, 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 not only the blackout, but like, if you think about it, like 30 years of like, People. urban crutch like just like n- the the wide open spaces that allowed you to have like those huge neon signs are now like much closer together because like you just need the space for people uh well and I was so about you to have say... like these little like alleyways that are kind of like lit because like they, there's there's that neon the, like the hyper neon of 
of the ads and stuff, but it's like in these little chasms that run between like these huge like mega block structures. I was gonna say the, another reason maybe for the lack of color, at least coming from the skyline, <clears throat> the skyline area, is the fact that a lot of people have moved off world. Yeah, and that That's the, this the, now we're dealing with more of like the dregs that have been left on yeah on planet yeah. So that's why that's why it's not. I mean, it is densely populated, but it's not as crazy as it used to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or and people can't afford things as much, as well as they used to because <laughs> yeah, the, pe- yeah, yeah. the people that could afford it don't live there. Yeah, they they, they bought off world exactly. Space. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about it that way, but that's a good, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, I mean, there's nine planets to choose from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what and then we're, let's talk about. Um, the weird setup of Wallace's uh, office and how it's just like constantly shifting lighting. Yes. I mean, that, that, that existed in Tyrell's I was going uh, it pl- to say it plays it plays with Tyrell's building because yeah. Tyrell they what they did was they had like this water effect yeah. that was playing against like some kind of gold lighting uh, so I, I think they had that same idea that they wanted to like incorporate that here also, it, it does kind of show, like, the constant shifting uh, moral uh, line that uh, Wallace, Wallace is capable is of. Is capable well, of. I was wondering, why did they make him blind? And, uh, I mean, do you think that it's a symbol symbolism for him being blind to his products becoming more human and attempting to overthrow the creator I think that's part of it I think it's also kind of like to show the, the hubris that he has the I, I think it's also to show just like the the concept of like the creator being imperfect already mm. um, and not and so so the the product can't be as perfect as he says it is because the creator himself isn't gotcha um, but that, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a good choice though. Um, Dude, what, what was a good choice? To, to make him blind. Okay. Like, I mean, like from, from like a, that kind of a interpretive standpoint. Yes. Plus it kind of just fucking looks cool. It did. Those, those, <laughs> those pitch black eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're really expensive. Yeah. You think? No, no. I, oh, I'm, I'm making a reference to yeah, Pitch yeah. Black. Oh, I was like, <laughs> oh, those Pitch Black guys. <laughs> Vin Diesel. I, get it, right? I, was, I was like, his eyes weren't black, though. No, 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 no. I get it now. I get it now. Uh, God, that movie. So it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the games were good too. When we did see the ads, though, um, I the liked, holograms. Yeah, I like that they that they were just like extensions of the ones that we had already seen, like. For instance, Atari is still a thing in in a like a, a big thing. I mean, I know Atari is still technically a thing, and I'm trying. No, to, I know what you mean. Trying to make a comeback now, but like Pan Am is definitely still a thing. Yes, in that in 2049. Yes, um, it, it just I, I think it all works because like all of that like future noir was still the same kind of future noir just like a little bit more advanced or a little bit more broken down depending on which area you were in. Mm-hmm. And I think that that allowed you to, again, kind of feel like you were still in that Blade Runner world. Like it would be weird. It's weird like in like 
when you go see episode one and like the stuff looks you really can't stop talking crazier. about Star Wars. Yeah, I, I mean it's just I don't know, but it's like you know it looks better than or not better, but like it looks more. It advanced. does. It does look better. Yeah, the, the, like Coruscant looks crazy compared to. Uh, I mean, if you want to, co- let's compare it to like Ridley Scott, though. Yeah. Like Ridley Scott property, which is Alien. Yeah. Like, just go to Prometheus and be like, "Really? This is before Alien?" Yeah, yeah. Or, or Alien or, Covenant or is before or, Alien. Or, yeah, Alien Prometheus Covenant. Two slash Alien Covenant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't like it. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> the review, not yeah. the movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just stuff like that, you know. And this is kind of like the opposite of that. Yeah, uh, it allows you to to still feel connected to the universe. And I think that's one of the biggest successes of this film is that there is a lot of respect. Yeah, with the original source and they the production behind it definitely wanted to not just look like it was from that world, but a natural progression of that world. And I th- I think they succeeded on all fronts. Yeah. Um... The one thing that they brought up in my in in that in those uh, reviews that really made me think for a second was the fact that they were talking about that uh, the cinematography was by Roger Deakins, mm. who it, who has done I think all of all of Denis Villeneuve's uh, stuff since Sicario, mm. and he does the cinematography for the Coen Brothers as well. Okay. And so they brought up the idea that like who's the one that really has like this great eye for the visuals? Is it Villeneuve or is it Deacons? And then I and so that kind of called things into question for me. But I mean, at the end of the day, the director is still the guy who looks at the thing and makes the decision like that's the shot that we use, etc. Yes. So, you know, there's that for whoever wants to discuss that. I mean, I think I think it's still Villeneuve at that point. Mm. Um, but it does help that that he you know surrounds himself with like the excellence of this of uh, Mr. Deacons though. <laughs> uh, so let's go into nerd out moments. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to start or yeah. should I? No, I can start. I can start. I think a nerd out moment for me was uh, the enhance homage when uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> closer. <laughs> Closer. Go to 36? Closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, another nerd out moment was literally finding out that Rachel gave birth and that Rachel was still like a, an important person. And that extends to Rachel coming back. The uh, way that they tied in, I yeah. thought was really cool, yeah. Um, and then another nerd out moment for me is literally just uh, Kay and Joy's relationship. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought that... <laughs> enjoyed it. Uh, spell that with J-O-I. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fully realized and uh, the questions that came out of that were very cool in terms of, you know, again, furthering, expanding on that initial question is like, you know, where's the line of humanity drawn as compared to our creations? And then does that extend to something that doesn't even have a body? Yeah. Uh, so that's really, really cool. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, I'll start with piggybacking on that and just saying, like, Joy was... A, a Joy? Yeah. <laughs> a Joy. Uh, I particularly thought it was really 
neat and somewhat realistic that like when they like kissed like things were off right like like the the settings like you're talking about mackenzie no no even before that like when they're on the rooftop in the rain and like oh like her hands wouldn't necessarily be quite touching his face or his hand would might be like too far in on her or whatever yes like because you can't really have that tactile uh experience with her and then that moves then moves into the uh the thing the the love scene with Mackenzie Davis and just like the way that they synced up and then would desync occasionally yes like I thought that was a visually uh arresting uh part of that of the movie mm-hmm. um <clears throat> I another uh nerd out moment for me I, I would say uh would be just uh that particularly that scene that intimidation scene with love and uh Joshi, Joshi, I, I just I just really enjoyed the uh, the animosity there <laughs> and the intensity, um, and then overall just like the cinematography was insane balls. Like every shot was gorgeous. Yes, uh, just the overall like sleekness and the look of this movie and how it just felt like an updated version of of Blade Runner. Um. In terms of facepalm moments, um, I think like just like all those open threads w- is, is something for me that that bothers me. Yes, and like op- I, I don't like. Let me rephrase. Like I, it's not an open thread that really bothers me. Like because I, I I don't mind an open ended movie. Like uh, District Nine ends in a way where like I'm completely fine with it ending the way that it did, even though it's kind of open ended. Um, and I don't need a sequel, but like this one just is open ended in a way that I feel like they they want a sequel, uh, and that's kind of disappointing to me. Um, that's uh, fair. Uh, another facepalm moment, I guess, would be just I, the pace. I guess, like as much as I don't, I mind thought you didn't pace, have a problem with. I it. don't have. You're a you're struggling to find a facepalm moment. No, 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 no. Because I'm going to use that for my facepalm moment. Right. But you can't use that. You didn't have a problem with the pace. I didn't have a problem with the pace. But, like, I mean, if I want this movie to succeed, like, I I need other people to, like, not pass out watching Unfortunately, that. it's already replicating the box office numbers of its predecessor. Yeah. Uh, and so well. it is a... It's already been touted as a box office bomb. Oof. <laughs> by, by, by the, by the uh, film media press. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's about to open in China and Japan, though. Um, yeah, they love some CG. Yeah, but let's hope that the this this long running time doesn't turn them off. Yeah, that's true. What's your third one? Uh, third one would be the fact that like they couldn't they couldn't incorporate those three film the three shorts just into this movie. Like, I mean, which again ties into like the runtime slash plotting nature of the, the movie yeah it, it's it seems like if they somehow found a way to put those other three things in there one you would have a little bit more action and like a little bit more uh uh like or you'd have less pacing problems because you'd have like those little uh bursts of action yes uh and two it would uh i think it would be it would be more beneficial to the viewer like it, 
like a, a mainstream watcher apparently isn't going to look at these these short films the way you and I did. Mm-hmm. So by forcing them to watch that, they they might understand what's going on in the story a little. Like bit I said, better. forcing them, <laughs> we're in a clockwork orange them to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. To, to watch these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what about what about you? What are your what are your? Uh, I'll have to piggyback on the uh, pacing. Definitely, mm-hmm. I found the pacing to be a uh, a substantial issue. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister actually was watching with me, and she fell asleep. Oh, she's uh, her father's so, daughter. So I literally, I literally have someone that's like, you know, right there near me, <laughs> falling asleep through most of this film. Um, that was excited to watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's 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 a disappointment. Um, and I mean, it also just means less time uh, that it can be play throughout the day uh, because of the longer running time. That's a good point. Um, but another facepalm for me is literally uh, piggybacking off of what you said is the threads. Yeah, the threads which extends to my third uh, face palm, which is literally the questions that I have about this world that will never be answered. Um, that like, honest, honestly, actually stem from the original one, at least the way that Ridley Scott presented it, because why the f would a replicant be created in order to hunt replicants and then be allowed to be like roam free in L.A. Then live just the way they want to. Oh shit! You broke it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah going, right. going there. I didn't think about that. And then, and then Tyrell allows this replicate that he created in his house, and then allows the farce to continue. And is like, oh yeah, why don't you ask Rachel? Now I can't wait for. Uh, <laughs> now I literally cannot wait for the how it should have ended slash honest <laughs> trailers for this movie. And yeah, uh, pretty good. yeah exactly. And it just, it, that extends to just, uh, you know, the replicants being allowed to roam free when years earlier they had just a, a, a solid law of like, don't make replicants. Replicants are not allowed anymore. On a much more shallow note, I really want uh, Kay's jacket. I want to rock that Oren like high collar look. Nah, no thanks. I'll take I'll take Deckard's jacket from the original anyway. Fair, no, no, fair enough. Um, okay. Or Rachel's jacket. <laughs> the giant fur. Yeah, the giant fur. <laughs> uh, I will rock the f out of that. Okay, um, so uh, we're gonna move on to the ratings as. Uh, pod nerdy to me goes the way that we work with the ratings is if we like the movie we say that it's for the win if it's I right, we'll tell you it's just I right. and uh, if we didn't like it we're gonna say it's a fail so uh, where do you fall on this the so I'd like to state that we probably went more in depth into this film in terms of the questions that it raises and the way that it executes those questions much deeper than we have any other film that I can think of at the moment. Uh, maybe Arrival is the most recent one that I can think of, but yeah. that was last year. I can't yeah. think. I think I can't think of another one. Another one that we actually went in depth and actually, you know, we're talking about the philosophy that was raised within a film. I think we we did something similar with Ghost of the Shell, but just pointed out how it was poorly executed. And yeah, yes. and just like this. If you're trying to say this. Which is, we know you're trying to, then why did you do this? It was unfortunately too derivative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, this one, the reason why we do this is because it is so sophisticated in its storytelling and where it's coming from. So it does require a more uh, 
extensive look into yeah. it. So uh, with that being said, I thought that the, the questions that it does raise, even though it isn't as uh, genre-defining as its predecessor, uh, I thought that the overall package was beautifully produced, directed, and acted uh, with, and we didn't even talk about this, a fantastic score uh, with Hans Zimmer, and I forget who the second uh, composer is. I only saw the Hans Zimmer name, but I, I thought, was like, this makes sense. Yeah, I thought that it was very... Uh, evocative of both Vangelis's score, but also, you know, like kept within that the world setting tone that the original had. Sure. Uh, so, uh, and th- how beautiful this film looks. It's a gorgeous, it's a treat to view. So I'd have to definitely give this a for the win. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I will be purchasing this on Blu ray. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if there's ever going to be a director's cut where they get rid of. <laughs> Get rid of those flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, how about yourself? Uh, I, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, this is the kind of thing I want in a sequel in the sense that it is uh, evocative of the first one. Uh, it expands on the universe of the first one. And it tells a different story from the first one. Hmm. So, uh, in those rights, that's what I want from a sequel. And it hit all those notes. So, definitely for the win for me. Uh, so, listener, what do you think of the movie? Did you fall asleep during the movie? Were you riveted through the entire time? Uh, did you think that you'd rather see Han Solo pop up than Rick Deckard? Uh, did you think that we deserve the sequel? Or should it have waited just a little longer? Ooh, Yeah. Uh, but we would love to know. We'd love to hear from you. Join the join us on the conversation on Twitter. We're at PodNerdy, the number two me. You can leave a note or ask a question on Tumblr at PodNerdy, the number two me dot Tumblr dot com. Uh, leave a note on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash PodNerdy, the number two me. You can always email us at PodNerdyPodcast at gmail dot com. And you can find all of our other uh, episodes and uh, all our other different uh, podcast shows at podnerdy2me.com. And as always, please rate and subscribe to our podcast so that other nerds can find us too. So until next time, find your joy. Your joy.